0: It's time for mystery. Mystery. Real. X X, X. 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 This is Orson Welles speaking from London. The Black Museum. Here in the grim stone structure on the Thames which houses Scotland Yard is a warehouse of homicide where everyday objects, a light bulb, a broken mirror, a stained blotting pad all are touched by murder. Here's an auto service card issued by a garage to show that a certain motor car was oil and greased. the speedometer reading was 15,001.
1: According to the card, his car had done 5,001 miles on the first. By the following day, he'd added another 160 miles to the speedometer reading. And he told you, Inspector, he hadn't been on any long journeys. He'd forgotten the speedometer reading on the service card. They all overlooked something.
0: And the harmless-looking service card which George Dalton overlooked was instrumental in convicting him of the brutal murder of his own mother and father. That's why it's earned its place here in the Black Museum.
1: From the annals of the Criminal Investigation Department of the London Police, we bring you the dramatic stories of the crimes recorded by the objects in Scotland Yard's Gallery of Death, the Black
0: Museum. Well, here we are in the Black Museum. As beyond these stone walls, the life of London flows as ceaselessly as the muddy waters of Thames. Here, it's silence. Let us walk under the frieze of death masks. The masks of criminals of bygone days, suspended grimly under the ceiling. That glass funnel means nothing until we stop and read the card beside it. Once this funnel was used to pour acid over the body of a woman. Insignificant in itself, easily broken, but was strong enough to hang a murderer. Here's a pair of spectacles. Over well, there's a powder puff. And here's here's what we're after the buff colored service card. As I open the showcase and take it between my fingers, I ask you to come with me back to 1947. We're calling at the quiet suburban house of Mr. and Mrs. Dalton. I live in South London. It's a respectable district populated by respectable middle class people, but the Daltons are in trouble. The cause is their only son, George Frederick. They are discovering that George is not, as other young men of his age. To his parents, he is, at the age of 23, a problem child.
2: He's not a bad boy, Fred, you know that. But he just doesn't seem to settle down. Uh,
0: I know his trouble.
2: Oh, don't be too harsh on him. He
1: won't work. That's what's wrong with the young devil. Oh,
2: Fred. Well, how many
1: jobs has he had since he came out of the army?
2: I don't know. So
1: many, a lose count. And even the army couldn't do anything with him. Absent without leave half a dozen times. He spent more time in detention than he did on the drill square.
2: Here he is. Oh, dear, he's upset again.
1: Uh, now I expect
0: you'll turn the radio on.
1: Oh, George, for heaven's sake, don't turn that radio on. I've got a headache. Oh, go to hell. What did you say to me? I told you to... Here, you get away from that set. George! Oh, Jerry, you put your hands on me. Go to your room. But I'm Please sure... He... me. I'm sorry, Dad. I'm no. sure he didn't Go mean it. Go to your room. I didn't mean it, Dad. I'll sweep up this mess and we'll have
2: some tea, shall we?
1: All right, young man. For your mother's sake, I'll forget it. But I'm getting straight on the telephone to my old friend Jim Spencer. He's got a jeweler shop in Clapham and he meets a lot of people. Maybe he can advise me about fixing you up with a job. <laughs>
0: Jim Spencer, the jeweler, was white-haired in his 60s. He lived over his shop, which was quietly prosperous, and he had just lost a young assistant who, having learned something of the trade, had transferred to a larger firm. So George Dalton was taken on in this place, and for the first time, George seemed to be interested in his work. But perhaps that was not altogether surprising.
1: Glass me my eyeglass, will you, my boy? Here you Thank you. That's a very nice pendant you're working on, Mr. Spencer. Yes, it is, isn't it? Ah... Uh, How much is it worth? Mm, I'd give a hundred guineas for it then sell it at a hundred and twenty. Would the owner sell? Not this one. But I always keep a few hundred pounds in the safe there just in case I get a chance to buy something like this.
0: Mm, Now,
1: where did I put those
0: tweezers? To Mrs. Dalton's delight, her son was still working in the shop at the end of six months. But young George was rather less interested in the work than in the end product. And above all, he was interested in that safe. He even had a duplicate of the key made. He had a duplicate of the door key, too. Perhaps he didn't quite know what he was going to do with his keys, but in a steamy cafe behind the bright lights of Piccadilly, he found a friend who had ideas. If you ask me, chum, I'd say you were sitting on a blinking gold mine.
1: Yes. what do you mean? Yeah, come off me, George. We did 90 days detention together in the army, didn't we? Yeah. I know you're not quite daft. I mean, all you got to do is to get the key of the door, the key of the safe, and... Well, I've got those. Well, we... you have. There they are. Well, for crying out loud, what are you stalling about? Well, I've never pulled off a real job, Charlie. It's, uh, it's a bit of a step to take, isn't it? It's up to you, Cook. I know what I'd do. I'd sleep in about two o'clock in the morning. Here, here, Charlie. Would you come with me? Why? Right. Do you want to make it a business proposition? Are you? Uh... Yes, I do. Look, if we broke yes. in together... Squire. Pay the bill. Let's get out of here. Okay, okay. Here, where are we go? I'm taking her down to the Elephant and Castle. Meet Slash. We work as a team. He's the boss. It's the only
0: safe way. Slash has got brains. He'll put you right. Come on, I'll introduce you. So George Dalton started his professional career.
1: Yeah, you know this guy well, to you, Charlie? <laughs> I'll say, we did 90 days together, didn't we, George? Uh, yes, that's right. Okay. And you want to join us, do you, George? I want uh, Charlie to come in on this job with me. Uh, that's the idea. Yeah, the idea's okay. And we need a jewellery expert in the gang. Forget this, pal. I'm the boss. And what I say goes... Do this job, you and Charlie, and take 50% of the profits. The rest goes into the organization. Understand? Do you agree to the terms? Uh, yes. Yes, I agree. Ah, then that's fixed. Shake on it. This clinches it. And remember, there's no funny business in this outfit. I suppose you know why the boys call me Slash? I think so. I carry a razor. Remember that, George. George. Not that I'd use it on you, but I thought I'd mention it in passing. George is okay, I've told you. Of course he's okay, and I'll fix up a car for you tomorrow night. A car? Yes, it's all part of the service. You're busting into the Spencer shop tomorrow night? (laughs) So you've got all day tomorrow to fix the burglar alarms.
0: And those burglar (laughs) alarms took quite a bit of fixing. But by closing time, George Dalton had traced and snipped the wires... Putting on his coat, he wished his employer a dutiful good night and at 11 o'clock, Mr. Spencer turned out his light in the bedroom upstairs and climbed into bed. Three hours later, the stolen car turned quietly into the deserted street and stopped.
1: Coast cleaner, George. You got the keys? You bet. Okay, then we go. Hi. Where's the safe? Over here. Oh, okay, get to work. The old man's upstairs, isn't he? Yes. Heaven will help the old fool if he wakes up and comes down. You got that safe open yet? No, no, the lock's a bit stiff. Here, Charles. Yeah? Shine the torch this way. Come on, what's it. Jumping, Jakes. What the places are you doing? I'm oh, sorry, I knocked a tray over. The clock made me jump. Here, let's get out quick. Open that safe, you stupid swab. It's jammed, Charlie. Here, come on, let me have a go. Are you sure this is the right key? Of course I'm sure. you look, Spencer will be awake now. We must get out. Oh, you idiotic plot. This isn't the right key. Yes, it is. And uh, the lock's open. Pull the door. Look out. Look out. The old man's coming. Here he is. Who's there? Get him. The, 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 get back. <coughs> Grab what you can and run for it. Okay. I've got two trays of rings and some notes. Come on. Get out.
0: The jeweler was found lying in a pool of blood ten minutes later. The neighbor who found him called the police immediately, but needless to say, there were no signs of the thieves and they had left no clues. And Mrs. Dalton stated that her son had been at home and bed on the night of the robbery. To the best of her knowledge, she was telling the truth. But two days later, her son visited his unfortunate employer and handed in his notice.
1: Sir, I just couldn't go on drawing me wages while the shop's closed and you're here in hospital. You're a good boy, George. I only wish you knew enough about the business to carry it on for me, but I thought it wiser to put the stock away in the bank in case those rascals came back. I only wish I could get my hands on them, that dirty swine. Well, luckily they didn't get away with anything worthwhile. What do you mean? I I thought that you... Uh, What did you think, George? I thought they cleaned you out. (laughs) <laughs> no, I'm too old a bird to leave valuables in the shop safe at night. I take them all upstairs to a real safe. I only leave the paste stuff down below. Didn't I ever tell you? No, you you never
0: told me. How much the old gentleman suspected, we don't know. If he did have any suspicions, he never had them. But Slasher was not so easy.
1: The expert in jewellery. Come here, George. I want to speak to you. Uh, what's the trouble, Slash? I'll tell you what's the trouble. You, you dirty double-crossing pedisher. Think you can unload junk on me, do you? You knew these rings were duff. I didn't know. After working in the shop for six months, you didn't know where the real stuff was? Don't give me that. Two trays of duff and a fiver in notes. You can't get away with it. Where's the rest? There isn't any more. Okay. I warned you. Here it comes. Uh, put the razor! Ah!
0: The slash of the razor across Dalton's left cheek unlocked the gates of an unquenchable hatred. With the flash of six inches of sharp steel, he became a killer, and he knew that the slasher must die. He would evolve the perfect murder with no clues, such as the service card which can be seen today among the exhibits in the Black Museum. We return to Dalton, the killer, with blood still streaming from his cheek. He smiles at the flasher. And for the first time in his life that individual is surprised, taken off his guard. I
1: suppose I asked for that. Get out of here. You're not pretty. I've got your brand on me now. I've got to be one of you. What do you mean? You're a man of action. I like that, even if it hurts. Give me another chance. I'll do better next time. I never knew they made him so yellow. Get out. You stink. I've got a date here with a smasher, and you might scare her away. Now, scram. Ah, here she comes.
2: Henry, is that
1: you? Right here, Toots. I never knew your name was Henry. Yet. (gasps) Oh, hello, what's happened? Oh, he's had an accident. Just going. Hello there. Are you hurt bad? No, it's nothing much. He's no friend of mine, Brenda. Come on, let's go. Okay. Good night, Henry. Good night, Brenda. I'm gonna say some more a you.
0: That's right, Dalton. You've made your choice. You're gonna start with a girl. That will hurt him. Follow them. They go into a cafe, have a meal. You wait in the shadows. They're coming out at last. Follow them again
1: into a mean little street. Oh, yes, this must be where she lives. You're going to let me in, aren't you, Toots? No, I'm tired. What's the matter with you tonight? I don't know what you did to that fellow. Oh, for Pete's sake, you're not still beefing about
2: him. I know what you did, and I'm no pru, but I don't like racers, and you know it. Good night.
1: No, no, look <clears> here, <throat> wait a minute. Okay, <laughs> if that's the way you want it. See you tomorrow. He's gone. I
0: suppose we knock on do door. Yeah, knock on do door. See what happens cheeks
2: still bleeding ah. Look, i told you to
1: <gasps> it's me
2: what? what do you want
1: have you got something i can put on this cut? you followed it yeah why i don't know i i need help
2: oh, if he comes back he'll kill you He's come coming quick i don't know why i'm doing this i must be crazy come into the kitchen. I'll I'll bathe that cat.
1: Well, uh, I'd better go. I'm I'm a nuisance.
2: You can't go now. Come over to the sink. Well, if the cops saw you in this mess, they'd take you for questioning. Here, hold your face over the water. Okay. What's your name?
1: George. George Dalton.
2: Henry says you double-crossed him.
0: I didn't. It would be so easy to squeeze that pretty throat of yours, Brenda. But you're too lovely.
1: Much too lovely.
2: Now, now, keep still while I put some plaster on. It's lucky the cut isn't deep. Huh? How would you feel?
1: Oh, 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 fine, thanks. I, uh, I suppose I'd better go now.
2: I don't understand you, George. You know, you're different from the others. What others? I suppose you know what sort of girl I am.
1: I don't care what sort of girl you are, but... I... I I sure like you.
2: Well, you're... You're decent. Uh, Perhaps you should go.
1: I'll do just whatever you say.
2: Oh, your shirt and coat are all covered in blood. I can't turn you out like that. Uh, You'd better spend the night now. I'll get you some clean clothes in the morning.
1: Brenda, I never felt like this about... about anyone before. I... I don't know what to say.
2: Honey, I don't either. Well, I'll put the kettle on and we'll have a nice cup of tea.
0: Tea. (laughs) As much a part of London's life as Buckingham Palace and the Houses of Parliament, Brenda made tea. The next morning she went out and bought her new lover the clothes he needed. He put on the clothes she brought him and went home. He knew quite well what he was going to do, and that night he borrowed his father's car, and at nine o'clock he drove to the bomb site, where he knew the slasher would be waiting for Brenda. And in his pocket he had a short length of lead piping. As he approached his objective, he saw a movement in the shadows. It was the slasher.
1: Well, if it isn't the jewel expert. Yeah, you come at the money? Hello, Slash. How you doing? Well, what's your idea? Not looking for trouble, are you? What do you think? Get back, you dolt! Ah, uh, uh, well, that squares out a cut. Now, I'll put you under the rug in the back of the car and I'll take you for a little ride.
0: A little ride was to a deserted bridge over a railway. Dalton lifted his victim onto the parapet. And he paused. Uh, just before you go, I
1: I wonder how much you've got in your pocket. Anybody coming? Ah, uh, uh, good. Ah, uh, oh yes, quite a few notes here. Yeah? Thank you, Slash. Thank you very much. Goodbye.
0: And quite gently, Dalton eased the unconscious man over the edge. After that, it was easy. Brenda, like the old jeweler, may have had her suspicions, but she kept them to herself. Dalton had money, taking nearly a hundred pounds from the slasher's pocket before pushing me into the path of the oncoming train. That hundred pounds lasted just two weeks. Two glorious weeks. The happy couple celebrated those weeks in the famous seaside resort of Brighton. Then, on the morning of January the 1st, 1948, with funds running low... George Dalton took his father's car into the Carduck service station to be oiled and greased. Now, why did he do that? Superintendent Brandruth of Scotland Yard has the answer.
1: There is no doubt that Dalton had already decided to drive to his parents' home and ask for money. He had insufficient funds with which to pay his hotel bill, and it was essential for him to receive help from his father. His father was always particular about the regular servicing of his car. And the son doubtless had this carried out... in order to produce it as a sop for his father's wrath.
0: And the speedometer reading was 15,001... duly recorded on the service card. So George Dalton drove the 50-odd miles to his home... on what was to be his fatal journey. He was hampered by fog on the way... And when he eventually turned into his own street, the fog was very thick. Stopped the car outside his parents' house, went inside, and got down to business.
1: I'm sorry, Father, but I've got to have the money quick. Well, who the blazes do you think you're talking to? You take my car for a weekend, you keep it for a fortnight. Well, I've had it, sir. I don't care if you've had it rebuilt. You'll never drive it again. Very nearly got onto the police and reported it stolen by you. And now you have the infernal impudence to demand 50 pounds, just like that. If I don't have it, I'll go to prison. The hotel won't Then you'll wait. have to go to prison. You'd have gone there a long time ago. It might have brought you to your senses. You're my own son, but I'm disgusted with you. Go on, get out. You can't send me away, can't I? There's the door now. Now go on, get out. Oh, no, you don't. Take your hands off me, you young rascal. Your mother. Mother. Give me that money, will you? i mad. You're, 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 ch- you're choking me. George, what have you done?
2: He's dead. Ah! Stop that guy, Joe!
0: (laughs) Dalton, apparently unimpressed by the enormity of his crime, left the murdered couple lying where they had fallen while he searched the house for money. He found just over 30 pounds of his parents' savings. He drove the car into the garage, put his victims in the back and covered them once again with a traveling rug. Then, as he cleaned the house and locked up after himself, as darkness fell. He drove to the nearest bridge, over a railway. It was the same method as before. When it was over, the murderer drove back to his lover in Brighton. But when he arrived... She had grim news for him.
2: George, tell me you didn't
0: do it. What? What what are you talking about?
2: Your mum and dad.
0: Ah, you're mad. You don't know what
1: you're saying. Come
2: into the other room, quickly.
1: Brenda, what do you know about my mother and father? Now, tell me.
2: So you did do it? No. I know you did it. Why? How could you? Brenda. Uh, Don't touch me.
1: Mr Dalton, is it? Yeah. What do you want? I'm sorry to have to tell you that your mother and father were found dead an hour ago. I didn't do it. What exactly do you mean by that? How, how, how dreadful. I, I don't believe it. you know how they died? Of course I don't. How could I? Well, that's what I was wondering. Could you give me an account of your movements today? Uh, yeah. I spent the day here with, with my fiance. You haven't used the car outside? Oh, we drove to New Haven. That's eight and three-quarter miles. Seventeen and a half there and back. You haven't been anywhere else? No. The car's been here all the time? Yes. According to the garage people, you had the car serviced this morning. Yeah. The speedometer reading then, according to the service card, was 15,001. You've put on over 100 miles since then. I've just checked the clock on my way. And... The knows I've been with her all day. Oh, George, what's the good of you lying? The speedometer's in order. That can't lie. I'm afraid that in the circumstances, it's my duty to charge
0: you with the murder of...
1: Stop him! Let me go!
0: So George Dalton was arrested and charged with the murder of his parents, within an hour of their bodies being discovered on a railway line 50 miles away. In due course, he was convicted, and at 8 o'clock on a cold, misty morning, he mounted the steps of the scaffold.
1: And he told you, Inspector, he hadn't been on a long journey. He'd forgotten the speedometer reading on the service card. They all overlooked something.
0: And that is why the service card has earned its place here in the Black Museum.
1: Orson Wells will be back with you in just a moment.
0: You may be wondering how George Dalton was traced so quickly... When his parents' bodies were discovered, the police immediately went to the Dalton residence, expecting to find the son. Both the son and the car were, of course, missing. It was the work of a few minutes to trace the make and number of the vehicle, and the general alert was put out all over the country. Police officers visited garages and the telltale service card localized the search to the Brighton area where Dalton's name was recognized in the hotel. The girlfriend was questioned while George Dalton was already being tailed by a police car into the hotel forecourt. At this stage, of course, there was no evidence against him, but the police allowed him to get into the hotel before questioning him. So they proved the theory that by giving a criminal just enough rope, he'll surely hang himself, which is what Dalton did with the aid of the buff-coloured service card which has earned its honoured place here in the Black Museum. Now, until we meet next time in the same place and I tell you another story about the Black Museum, I do think all this. Obedient And now, another mystery on Mystery Radio. X, X X Romo
3: Seltzer presents The Adventures of Ellery Queen mm-hmm. makers of Bromo Seltzer bring you another thrilling adventure with Ellery Queen, the celebrated gentleman detective in person. Ellery Queen again gives you a chance to match wits with him as he relates another story of a crime he alone unravels. Then at the point where he was able to solve the mystery, he stops the play, gives you a chance to guess the criminal's name. In the studio tonight, we have as our guests Ken Sears, New York Yankee catcher, and Art Flynn, business editor of the weekly newspaper Sporting News. We would hope to have with us, too, the star second baseman of the Yankees, Joe Gordon, but he was unable to join us. However, Messrs. Sears and Flynn have accepted Ellery Queen's challenge to solve the mystery before the solution is revealed. And now, Ellery Queen, master detective and your host for the next half hour. Thank you, Ernest
4: Chappell, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. In tonight's story, Nikki and I quite unexpectedly become involved in the crucial game of the World Series. I call it the adventure of the World Series crime.
5: The series. Now you all know what's happened. The Eagles won the first three games. Then the Larks came back to take the fourth and fifth games. And now the Larks are leading in the sixth game, three to two. Here's the pitch. 12-4. That's a walk for Henderson. Those the bases for the Eagles. Two out. We'll see now. Oh, here's the great Sparks himself coming to bat. Well, let's see. A hit will score two runs. The Eagles will win four to three, and the World Series will be over. But if the Larks can stop Sparky again, the series will be all tied to three games apiece. And the payoff game tomorrow, there it is, strike one. Now, everybody's asking what's happened to Sparky. Champion batter of the major leagues, he was an Arkansas tornado in the first three series games. Hit over 500. Won the first three games for so the Eagles almost single-handed. And then he folded. Here's the pitch. Strike two. Sparky didn't get a hit in the fourth game or the fifth. And today, in three official tries, the great Sparks has popped up once and struck out twice with men in scoring positions. Here it is, all one. one. That's one and two on Sparky. You know there's some ugly rumors around, but taken from your uncle Ted, they're just malarkey. You know you've heard them that Sparky's been drugged. Sparks has sold out to the gamblers. It's all here it is. Strike three. Sparky didn't even lift his bat off his shoulder. He's out. Well, that's the game, folks. It ties it up to three games apiece. But what's happened to Sparks? Mr. Dayton, owner of the Eagles, wants to know. Mac McClune, fighting manager of the Eagles, wants to know. What's happened to Sparky?
6: Just a minute. Mr. Dayton's private office. What? No. Say, listen, Weisenheimer, I'll give it to you in plain English. There ain't no more tickets. Oh, oh. hello, Mr. McClune.
4: The boy's in, Susie.
6: Uh, yeah, he's waiting for you. Say, Mr. McClune, I want to tip you off. The boss said me and the boyfriend could see today's game from his box. And, well, you know what that means.
4: yeah. As usual, Dayton's ducking out in a pinch.
6: Yeah, well, the rest of us still think you can lick them bombs, Mr. McClune.
4: Thanks, Susie. want to see me, Mr. Dayton? Oh. oh, come in, Mac. Yeah. Mac, I'm leaving you in complete charge. Going away today, Mr. Dayton? I notice you have your golf clubs already. Mm, yes, I'm running up to the country club. I, I couldn't stand the strain of the final game, Mac. My um, <laughs> heart, you know. Yeah. Go ahead. I'll phone you the result. Well, it's not as if I were running out on you or the team, Mac. Oh, it's not, Mister Dayton. Uh, you, uh, you'll bench Sparks, of course. I thought you were leaving me in charge. But my dear McClune, he's had half a dozen chances to win the series in the last three games. And what's he if done? If Sparky but... goes, I go. Oh, he couldn't bat a ball with a coal shovel. He bat a ball. Bat. Bat. Oh, what a fool I've been. Of course, the bat. What are you raving about, Mac? Look, Mr. Dayton, if your heart can stand the strain of making one phone call before you go out to play golf, just one, mind you, we can still win this series. A
7: phone call?
4: I want a detective. Pay any fee he asks, but have him here in 15 minutes. A detective? What detective, Mac? The best in the world, Mr. Dayton. If there's one man can save this World Series for us, it's Ellery Queen. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, you have the beginning of our mystery. We'll be back in just a moment to tell you more. But first, Ernest Chapel. You know, nobody minds
3: hard work these days because we're working for victory. But what are you going to do when you're stopped by a common sick headache? Uh, Miss Edith I, of Fremont Avenue, Los Altos, California, has the answer to that. She writes,
8: I work at the Red Cross seven hours a day, five and a half days a week, and spend what time I have left practicing my music. This constant work and study is quite a strain, and sometimes I get a common sick headache, and my nerves feel on edge. Well, one evening, while listening to your very entertaining Ellery Queen program, I heard your clever, educated train tell about Bomo Seltzer, and I decided to try it the next time I got a headache. Was I delighted with the quick effect of relief I got? Why, in just a short time, my head felt a lot better, and my jumpy nerves began to calm down. I told everyone at the office about it, but most of them informed me that they were already familiar with Bromo Seltzer's grand health and had been relying on it for a long time. Now I'm never without Bromo Seltzer. I keep a bottle in my desk at the office and another at home.
3: And that's a wise idea for everybody. You know, these days you never know when you're liable to get a common sick headache. So if you don't already have a big blue bottle of Bromo Seltzer in your home medicine chest, get one tomorrow for sure. (laughs) And now, back to our mystery. In answer to Mac McLoone's phone call, Ellery, Nicky, the inspector, and Sergeant Beely have just arrived.
4: Hello, Mac. Uh, hello, Ellery. You know my father, Inspector Queen? The Inspector. am Mac. Sergeant Vealy. Hi. And this is my secretary, Nikki Porter. Miss Porter. <laughs> when they heard you wanted me on a case, Mac, I couldn't shake them off. <laughs> There's anything we can do to help the Eagles win, Mac. Thanks, Inspector Queen. We're
7: Eagle fans, all of us.
4: We need them all, Miss Porter. I got a wig salary on the Eagles, Mac. You and a flock of others, Sergeant. <laughs> where is uh, Mr. Dayton? In a place where he won't bother us. Ellery, uh, if you can solve a mystery in three hours, we've still got a chance to win. If you can't... Doesn't sound like Mac McClune talking. Three hours. Give me the facts. Well, Ellery, you know ball players They're all kind of superstitious. Yeah. Uh, Remember how Babe Ruth always touched second base on his way in from right field at the end of every inning? Sparky's worse, Sergeant. He's got a pet bat.
7: You mean Ellery's got to find one of those nasty things that fly around at night?
4: (laughs) Mac's a baseball manager, Nicky, not a zookeeper. He means a baseball bat. Go on, oh. Mac. Well, Ellery, with that pet bat of his, Sparky's the greatest hitter in the game today. Well, now he's just a bum, huh? Uh, hold it, Sergeant. Mm. Mac, what happened to Spark's bat and when? Well, the morning after the third game, Sparky told me about it, but it went clean out of my head. Somebody stole his bat. Aha! Uh-huh. If Sparky gets
7: back his bat, you think he'll snap out of the slump, Mac? Inspector,
4: I'll eat your badge in the launch dugout if he don't.
7: <laughs> Ellery's been asked to find stolen jewels, stolen documents, but a stolen baseball bat.
4: Quiet, Nicky. Mac, was the bat stolen from the clubhouse? Uh, no, Ellery. Sparky was so nervous about it, he wouldn't leave it in the regular bat rack. He took it home with him. Where does he live? Well, Sparky got married just before the series. You
7: mean the World Series is Sparky's honeymoon?
4: Yeah, sort of, Miss Porter. So, uh, Mr. Dayton oh. gives Sparky and Lily, that's Sparky's wife, the use of his apartment during the series. They've been living there. What are we waiting for? Let's go. Uh, Here's Dayton's apartment, Inspector Okay, Mac Really, you park out here in the hall and watch this front door We don't want to be disturbed Go ahead, Ellery Knock Hmm, fancy layout. Oh, Inspector, you ain't leaving me out in the cold in a case like this. Bailey. Yes, sir. Mac, come on in. Oh, hello, Sparky. Uh, this is Inspector Queen, his son, Ellery, and Miss Porter. Howdy. Oh, I'm a uh, meet to missus. Lily, hi, meet hi, Inspector Mr. Queen. Hi.
6: Gee, it's awful good of you folks to help Sparky.
4: I reckon I'm past being helped, Lily. Maybe not, Mr. Sparks. Uh, when did you first discover your bat was stolen? Well, Mr. Queen... I always put the bat in the hall closet there. The first thing I woke up a morning of the fourth game, I well, I looked in the closet and Uncle Sam, that's my pet name for the bat, you see.
7: Sparky calls everything
6: we own by a pet name, Mr. Queen. There's a skunk back home that bothers the chickens. Sparky calls him Hitler. I'm beginning to like you, Sparky. The bat was missing, Sparky, when you first looked in the closet that morning?
4: No, Inspector. That time Uncle Sam's standing there all right. But then all that morning we have visitors, and when they go away and Lily and me get ready to mosey over to ballpark, why, I open the closet door and Uncle Sam's gone. How many visitors did you have? Oh, wasn't it three, Lily?
7: Oh, four, Sparky. Four visitors. Well, that means one of them must be the thief.
4: I reckon so, Miss Porter. Uh, I wasn't counting Mr. Dayton, Lily. He's not exactly a visitor. This apartment being his'n.
6: Oh, uh, Mr. Dayton come first. He forgot to take his golf bag with him when he gave up this apartment.
4: So he comes to pick it up. Uh, tell Mr. Queen who the other three were, Sparky. Okay, Mac. Uh, uh, first, there was Pigoli. Pigoli?
7: The big-time gambler? I smell a rat.
4: And what did Mr. Pigoli want? Well, it's uh, it's sort of personal.
6: Oh, now, Sparky, you mustn't hold anything back if you want Mr. Queen to help.
4: Lily's right, Sparky. Well, Mac. Now, oh, look I don't here, Valerie. Sparky's the idol of sports fans all over the country, and he deserves to be. He sets a good example for the kids. Don't drink, don't smoke, a square shooter, but he's got one weakness that's gonna get him in a heap of trouble. It already has.
7: I know, I read about it in the papers. Well, that's where
4: the glory fits. Gambling. Looks that way, Dad. Commissioner I had you on the carpet about it, didn't he, Sparky? Mm. Yeah, Inspector. But Sparky won't listen. He wastes most of his dough paying off.
6: Oh, gee, I tried so hard to make him stop. I, I even refused to marry him until he promised to quit. <laughs> Only he—he he didn't quit. I, I reckon
7: you'll have to excuse me. Oh, Lily, <laughs>
4: be a good girl, Nikki, and keep Mrs. Sparks company in the next room.
7: All right,
4: Valerie. So you owe Paguli money, Sparky, and he came here yesterday morning to collect hmm? When you start talking about gambling, Sparky shuts up like a clam. Guess who's outside asking to see Sparky, Ellery? Speak of the devil, Sergeant. Huh? A big shot, Pagoli. Bring him in, V. All right, Inspector. Step into the parlor, Mr. Fly. Be careful with your fence, you. Yeah. Oh, I beg your pardon, Mr. Sparks. I come back tomorrow, eh? Well, now, now, I don't know. Might be too late, Pagoli. Inspector Queen, and I'll see you at first. In an umpire's eye, you not see him. Be careful how you talk, Mr. Vili. Sergeant Vili to you, pig. Well, my business with Mr. Sparks, he's going to wait. There you go now. Oh, wait, Mr. Pigoli. What do you want? Well, seeing how things are, maybe I better tell the truth. The truth? You told me Pagoli came to see you the other day about the money you owe him, Sparks. Well, I didn't want to worry you, Mac. Mr. Pagoli here. Take care of what you spill, Hick. He was willing to forget my IOUs if Mr. Sparks, I warn you. If what? If I threw the series, Mr. Queen. So that's it, Pagoli. You're dirty yeah, I Don't know. from no. hey, you, drop And that's right, Pagoli. No, ah, dropped. Now I'll you. give you a demonstration yeah. of the famous Billy yeah. Say, Uncle. Ah, that's better. Fireworks over. Now, Mr. Pigoli, did you have any bundles or packages with you when you visited this apartment the other day? All of a sudden I'll talk English, huh? No, he he didn't have Mr. Queen. You sure, Sparky? Did he wear a topcoat? No, sir. Okay. Hit him out, Billy. Really. Put a tail on him, though. I think we'll be seeing more of Mr. Pig. Come on, Pig, back to your stomach. Uh, Sparky, who were the other two visitors you had? Who came after Pigoli? After Mr. Pigoli comes calling. Calling? Manager of the Larks? Yep, and uh, after Collins comes Buck Fisher. Uh, Fisher's the first baseman on your own team, Mac, isn't he? Yeah. Sponky mm-hmm. beat Buck out of the batting championship by three points. Mm, Less than two hours left. Time's running out. Dad, you and Mac tackle manager Collins of the Larks. Nicky and I will call on the vanquished Eagle batsman Buck Fisher. You'll find both of them at the stadium now, Ellery. Good. That saves us time. Dad, we check with each other at the stadium. Sparks can give us the other details on the way over. Hurry. since the old sand that day. We don't have to spar around. Well, what's on your mind, Inspector? Collins, why did you, the manager of the opposition team, drop in to see Sparks, the star batter of max team, during the World Series? It's your little idea, Mac. Trying to frame me just before the start of the last game? You know me better than that, Collins. Okay. Inspector, I ran up to see Sparky about our bet. What bet? Two thousand bucks, even money on a World Series winner. Sparky bet his team to win, Collins. That's a hot one. Did you ever hear of Sparky betting against himself? Sure, he bet on his team. But his team taking the first three games, I thought Sparky might be willing to raise the ante at uh, big odds, of course. But no soap. Sparky said no. He was willing, Mac. But his wife said nix. Collins, were you wearing a top coat that morning? Who me? A top coat in this weather? Did you um, have any bundles with you? Criminy, no. Say, what's this all about anyway? Forget it. Come on, let's go, Mac. Uh, just a minute, Inspector. Uh, Collins. Yeah, Mac? Who you pitching today? <laughs> See, tonight's paper. The door to the Eagles' locker room, Nicky. Yes,
5: uh, there comes an Eagle. Uh, e- excuse me, uh, are you Buck Fisher? Yeah. See you out in the field, fellas. Okay. Who are you?
7: But, don't you know Ellery Queen?
4: Never heard of him, lady. Hey, you're not the new sports writer for the Herald, are you? <laughs> Strike. <laughs> no, Fisher, I'm a detective. Detective? What goes? A few simple questions, Mr. Fisher. Why did you pay a visit to Sparks the morning of the fourth game? Well, Sparky and I had a bet all season on who'd wind up with the best batting average. Sparky won by three points. Ten is high.
7: And I saw him do it. Made five hits in the last game of the season.
4: So what? So why'd you drop in to see Sparky that morning, Fisher? Oh, we had another bet. Who'd get the most hits in the series? Sparky hit like a house of the first three games, but I figured he'd fold. So that morning I comes up and I says, Sparky, how about doubling the bet? Did he, Fisher? He says yes, but his wife says No. So what's the matter, Sparky, cold feet? Well, Sparky says okay. Yeah, then his wife starts the water work, so I beat it. But the double bet's on. Oh, there's a signal for batting practice. I gotta go out and cloud a couple. Oh,
7: uh, Mr. Fisher? Yeah? Did you wear a top coat that morning or carry any packages? What?
4: No. Miss Porter, why did you ask Fisher those last two questions?
7: If you can ask him of Pagoli, Mr. Queen, I can ask him of Fisher.
4: <laughs> That's what I thought. Come on, Miss Copycat. Let's find Dad.
7: You learned exactly as much from Collins as Ellery and I did from Buck Fisher.
4: Yeah, yeah, Nicky, a great big goose egg. Eh? Uh, Ellery, the mm. game will be starting in a few minutes. Uh, are we getting anywhere as <laughs> well, Sergeant? Ah, uh, we haven't even got to first base. Ellery, mm-hmm. we're no nearer finding that bat than when we start. I wouldn't say that, Dad. Ellery,
7: don't tell me you know where...
4: Yes, I know where Sparky's bat is, Nicky. There's only a 50-50 chance it's still there, Dad. Step aside with me. I'll tell you what to do. Now, you tell
7: her... Ellery and his pesky secret. Yeah. I wonder what's cooking
4: Only two hours since Dad made that phone call, Nikki, and no sign of anybody. You
7: wear out the sidewalk, Ellery. Ah,
4: two hours waiting at the ball player's entrance, and we could have been inside with Dad and Vely watching the game. Uh, Dad, what inning is it?
7: Best of the ninth, sir. Uh, what's the score now, Sergeant? Still the same, Miss Porter. One to nothing. the oh. large. Oh, give up, Ellery. It's too late now. You you must have been wrong this time.
4: Nikki, I tell you I wasn't wrong. I couldn't have been. How can I go in there and face Mac McClune without that pet bat of Spocky's? Well, you
7: can't do the impossible, Ellery. He gave you only a few hours. What's that? Nikki, this is it. What? A police call? What, Ellery? Hello, Ellery Queen.
4: Yes.
5: Here it is. The bat.
4: got
7: it. Are we in time, Mr. McLoone?
4: By the snakes of St. Patrick, it is. It's Sparky's bat. Hey, Sparks! Floyd, Floyd, call Sparky back. He's on his way to the plate.
7: Right? Wait,
5: right. we the
4: police department. Hey, how's it stand? Oh, we're behind this plane, the same as yesterday. One to nothing. Last the nine bases, full. Of two out, and Sparky up. Sparks! Sparks get a hit. Any hit will drive in two runs. And we win. Sparky, take the light out of your feet. Hey, what is it, Mac? You're, you're not benching. You're me. bat, Sparky. Your own bat. Here. Now go on out there and use it. Uncle Sam! Don't you worry, Mac. Good old Uncle Sam won't let you down. One side, fellas. And there, ladies and gentlemen, you have the mystery and, I hope, a solution as well. Nicky, will you be good enough to introduce our guest armchair detectives for this evening?
7: Well, Ellery, our guests tonight are certainly the right men to try to solve this mystery, because both of them know just about all there is to know about baseball. And when I tell you who they are, you'll see what I mean. Our first guest is Ken Sears, catcher of the New York Yankees and son of Ziggy Sears, famous National League umpire. You can be sure that when the Yankees meet the St. Louis Cardinals for the first World Series game October 5th, More than a few eyes will be watching Ken Sears.
4: All right, Nikki. I'll agree the first guest knows baseball, but what about the second?
7: Well, our second guest isn't a ball player, but that doesn't mean he doesn't know about baseball. He's Art Flynn, business manager of the Sporting News, the Bible of the baseball world. Mr. Flynn has been with the Sporting News for 16 years and has covered every World Series in that time. Mr. Flynn says that the Sporting News has a tremendous international circulation, since so many of its old readers are now in the service, but still yelling for their copies. And, incidentally, they get them. And now, Ellery?
4: Mr. Sears, I have two questions for you this evening. Number one, where did I find Sparky's bat? And two, who stole it? Well, Mr. Queen, I believe you found that bat in Mr. Dayton's golf bag. Mr. Dayton's golf bag. And (laughs) uh, how did it get there? Well, I believe, uh, Mr. Dayton visited Sparky's, uh, uh, apartment that morning. And I believe he, uh, stole that bat and, uh, went out to the golf course to play golf and missed that last game of the World Series. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much, Mr. Sears. And now, Mr. Flynn, where did I find Sparky's bat and who stole it? I think I've got to agree with, uh, Ken Sears, Ellery. Uh, that he found it in the golf bag because no one c- had a top coat. And secondly, I'd say that when the, that the person that put it there was Lily the wife because when they were talking about if he threw the series and she walked out and said no when they wanted to double his bet, it's the case of that famous French Saying la femme. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much, Mr. Flynn and Mr. Sears. You'll have to wait a moment to find out whether you've solved tonight's mystery correctly. And in the meanwhile, here's Ernest Chapel, who it develops is up on his modern slang. Ellery <laughs> means I'm hep to the jive, I suppose.
3: And all because I happen to mention to him that when you have a headache, you just can't be on the beam. In other words, you don't feel 100%. But if you're hepped, That is to say, if you know your way around, the chances are that you know our bromo seltzer gives quick, effective relief from the three-way misery that may often accompany a common sick headache. Yes, bromo seltzer acts three ways. On head, nerves, and stomach. Try bromo seltzer the next time you have a common sick headache. See how quickly it has you cooking with gas. Or as we old fogies say, feeling more like your old self again.
4: That was simple, Nicky, once I knew the facts. Only four people, Dayton, Pagoli, Collins, and Fisher, visited Sparky between the last time he saw the bat in the closet and the time he saw it was gone. So obviously, one of those four stole the bat from the apartment.
7: Well, I said that long ago, Ellery, but which one?
4: The important question wasn't who took the bat, Nicky, but how. How was the bat taken out of the apartment under Spark's nose without Spark seeing it? Strike one. After all, a bat is a sizable object, 36 inches long and a solid hunk of hickory. So that's why you asked about the packages and the topcoats, Right, Dad. But none of the four visitors carried a package or wore a topcoat. The topcoat idea was a shot in the dark. Actually, you can't conceal a 36-inch baseball bat under a coat, or inside a trouser leg for that matter, and still walk like a human being. Yet the bat was taken from the apartment. How? There was one article taken out of that apartment that was big enough to conceal a 36-inch baseball bat. But Sparks said nothing went outside. Wrong, Dad. Sparks said one thing did go out. Remember, Dayton's golf bag. Dayton? The owner of the
7: Eagles, the one who let the Sparks' apartment? That's right.
4: Dayton came back for his golf bag, Sparky said.
7: And with the top zippered over, it'd hold a baseball bat and not be seen. No!
4: Two. Now, either Dayton put the bat in his golf bag or someone else did. If Dayton were the thief, the first thing he'd do once he was out of the hotel was get rid of the bat. But if someone else put the bat into Dayton's bag and Dayton hadn't yet looked inside, the bat would still be there. So, Nikki, every told me to phone the chief of police nearest Dayton's country club. Chief rushed to the club, found Dayton's bag still unopened, and the bat inside.
7: Well, Mr. Dayton can't be the thief. and well, there's both, too. Then, and who stole the bat?
4: Who did it? Well, who hid it in Dayton's gob bag? Well, who was in the apartment when Dayton took away his bag? Not Pagoli, not Collins, no Fisher. None of them had arrived yet. Only two people were there besides Dayton, Sparks and his wife. Did Sparky steal his own bat? Would he deliberately get rid of the one thing he needed most to win his bet? No. Couldn't be, Sparks.
7: Then it must be... You mean his own wife? Mrs. Sparks
4: stole that bat. She's the only one left, so Sparky's wife must be the thief. My job. But please take every White, um, Mrs. Sparks. Yes, Mr.
7: Queen.
4: Will, will you come here, please?
7: Oh, you were wanting me, Mr. Queen. You
4: heard
8: what I just said. Mrs.
7: Sparks. Lily, why did you do it? Oh, gee, I thought if Sparky lost his pet back, he'd lose his bets. And Collins and Fisher and Cabooli and all the
6: others. I thought that would sure But I. Oh, gee, I didn't realize what it would
7: mean to Mac. And to Sparky's teammates and old fans, I. Well, I was scared to admit. <laughs>
4: God, God, and a foul
7: gallery do we have to tell sparky if
4: everything comes out all right i don't see why nicky
7: oh you're a darling
4: don't forget uncle sam uncle sam came through in the clutch, and he always will <laughs>
0: Join us again next time on Mystery Radio X.